0: Uh-huh.
1: Welcome back, bitches. This is Planet Dirtbag. I'm coming to you live from San Diego, California. I'm Hannah, and who else is in our orbit?
2: Hey, this is Albie, and I'm coming to you live from Queens. It's someplace no sane or cool person should ever be.
0: <laughs>
2: On today's episode, we have a special guest. Aliza, just like a Biza, Aliza Kelly, the resident astrologer for Cosmopolitan. Featured in the New York Times, The Cut, The Huffington Post, she has a podcast called Stars Like Us. She's also written two books, The Mixology of Astrology and Starring You, A Guided Journey Through Astrology. With an upcoming book being released in the fall of 2021, This Is Your Destiny. Ladies and gentlemen and datums like me, I'd like to introduce to you Aliza Kelly.
3: Thank you so much for having me. Yay, oh thank God. you.
2: Yeah, I've been dying to have you on our podcast. Um I feel like we're kinder spirits and I've known you for quite a while and you're just phenomenal.
3: Well, I am so thrilled to be here. Thank you for that very kind introduction. And I Alby, you were the first guest on Stars Like Us. So, I mm. I feel like we can't even really talk about the pod my podcast Stars Like Us without talking about
2: you because you are part of its creation you're part of its origin story thank you for having me on the first as your first guest and I feel like it's such a full circle moment because now I have a pod and you just reach 100 episodes on stars like us well 101 as a recording does
3: at the time of this recording there's 101 stars like us episodes available in the world and that's crazy. That's a lot of episodes.
2: Phenomenal. And right now, we're actually on our 10th episode.
3: Love it. Love oh, the number yeah. 10. Welcome to Double mm-hmm. Digits. You'll be there for a while.
1: <laughs> hey.
2: hey. <laughs> it's been a minute since I last seen you. And maybe it was like in one of your lectures at the Norwood Club or... Is it Madison Avenue or the Smiths or...
3: At Soho House. At the
2: Soho House. Even yes. fancier, even cooler. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it might have been there. I don't know. Maybe you reminded me of a Smith song. And that's why it came into my mind. But um, Or maybe the last time I saw you was like down in one of, like, Annabelle Gatt's lectures down at Greenpoint.
3: It, well, you definitely have not seen me since last year because I have seen no one since last year. I have, I, I think it's kind of dawned on me that I have actually, like, legit not seen anyone for over a year now. Um, like, a few people here and there, you know? Mm-hmm. Like and, Like, maybe I've seen four friends in the past year, but that's it. I mean, I have been abiding by the CDC. And I have, yeah, no one's seen me. I, I don't even know if I've seen myself. I'm excited <laughs> to be seen again.
2: No, for sure. As a fellow Leo son, we have to be seen. We have to be admired. We have to be acknowledged by the world, you know? How else are we going to know we're fabulous, mythical creatures if we don't have someone else who could validate us, validate that for us, you know? But, um, I don't know. Also, like, I feel like this new sense of Flair that I had, I kind of like that I have it now. Because I never had it before. I've never really felt like I embodied my leoness more than I do now. And I think that only started because of the fact that, like, in 2019, I graduated from college. I didn't have a job. I had a degree. I didn't know what I was going to do in my life. I didn't like myself. And... Well, the only way I could cope with this, like, really dark feeling and self hatred was, like, partying. And I remember that whole summer, and, like, after I graduated, like, all I did every single day was just, like, drink and pour to parties, go to clubs, do drugs. And then eventually it came crashing down when it was my birthday. And that was the beginning of my 12th house perfection year. And I got like disappeared from the world for like 4 months and i only got myself back together thanks to the occult thanks to learning more about magic getting you know deeper and more solid in my belief system and just understanding that i'm just a walking mythos
3: yes absolutely totally and you're also i mean uh you have the wisdom of many lifetimes but i think that in human years if i remember correctly albie you're very young right
2: i'm the old age of like 23 (laughs) (laughs) you know sometimes i even forget how old i am and i lie about it spice things up Exactly. Sometimes it's fun to tell someone you're dirty, and then the next time I see them, I'm like, "Oh, I'm actually like 16." <laughs> I don't know. It's it's wild what people could believe if you just tell them. Yeah. Um. So I'm actually
3: 16 years old. Is what <laughs> is the the uh, rumor that will spread starting on the show i am 16 years old
2: oh my god i absolutely love it that you're in the spirit of this i mean I, people don't get it i'm like a fire sign i love creating mythos i love playing out a fantasy and living out a little silly movie <laughs> reference you know like why not let me enjoy this fun let me play pretend 100 percent.
1: and i feel like with the gemini rising too there's like the duality of it too you're like i'm in existence so many realities
2: so like no for sure and Alita, since you're a fire sign and leo i really want your take on like mythos and for whatever reason i'm like really obsessed with it right now in a esoteric sense and i think also because of this like instagrammer poet named rachel rabbit white um do you know her
3: i know well we're connected on the internet i've never met her in person but we follow each other
2: i think i met her once in passing but i didn't want to introduce myself to her because i was like really fucking wasted well she doesn't know who i am and i hope she's gonna be on the pod one day i'm sure well um back to my point i just found her to be really fascinating when i read a post about her and how she changed her name to rachel rabbit white because She just wanted to be a new person, and I found that to be so brave and inspiring to be, like, one day, you wake up, and you just want to change your whole world. You want to be a new person. You want to change your name. I mean, I go by Albie. I go by Gnarly. I go by a dirtbag. But, like, I never really cared too much about my own legal name. Well, one of the running themes of this podcast is just me talking about certain celebrities and figures that I admire and trying to figure out the mythos that they capture or the archetype that they fill in my head or that they just present themselves as. And I feel like Rachel Rabbit White is someone who has fully grasped the concept of a mythos And has cultivated a reality where she's, like, this, like, just out of this world, like, angelic, fairy-like, um, nymph, almost. I don't even know if that's appropriate or disappropriate, but she's just someone so elusive and cool and, like, just poetic. Someone who, like, probably talks in prose 24-7, like, there's just something cool about people who who have a dream and vision of who they want to be and are able to bring that into reality and manifest it in the world and just embody it. And I find that just so fascinating. But, like, maybe I'm thinking about this too abstractly and I'm thinking about this outside of the symbolic order. But I'm always thinking about myself maybe because of social media and maybe because of the world, how it has gotten to a point of such... Vapid materialism. Like, we always have to have our own hashtag. We have to be our own Insta bio. And I'm always thinking to myself, like, who am I? Can I be labeled? Like, how am I supposed to present myself? Or, like, what image am I trying to be? Or, oh my god, I feel like I've gotten to a point where I'm in the Instagram game. Or, like, I'm really thinking about, like, how. I have to market myself. When I think of these things, it's hard for me to just be.
3: Hmm, Yeah, I mean, I feel personally like it's really delicate. You know, I don't think that it's uh, sustainable long term to have created a concept of who one is that isn't rooted Mm -hmm. in an organic compounded truth of what has been experienced like i love personas i am obsessed with personas and i also like this isn't about um rachel at all because this
2: was never about rachel it's
3: never about rachel big
2: fan rachel um i'm just using you as the example of someone who is living their own truth and isn't trying to be like everyone else someone else
3: Yes, I I think that it's, um, I think that to consciously and actively like move through different extensions of self um, is beautiful and is in relation to the cycles that we see captured through astrology. But I do think that they have to be organic and it has to be um, built on things that are real and things that are true and things that are lived and experienced, in order for it to be something that can sustain and can be able to scale. Because otherwise, it's like you know, a sandcastle. There is really no infrastructure supporting it, and at any point, something can just like destroy and knock down the entire elaborate. Sand kingdom, but if there's actually something that is rooting it and if there's something anchoring it, then even you can dress it up and you can sort of experiment and explore. But it, it, there is an alignment with one's innate truth. But like, it's also okay not to know your innate truth um, when you're in your 20s, when you're in your 30s, when you're in your 40s. Like, it's okay for that to be a process in and of itself, because I think that that's also honest and authentic to just what it means to be a human.
2: What it means to be a human, of course. This that's is actually true. one of the... It's probably one of the pieces and the nature of this podcast. <laughs> um, as it went on, it became more esoteric. Um, mm. Definitely not making total, like, governmental political commentary anymore. I mean, we do talk about politics and society, but I... It's more about trying to understand the psychic undercurrents of everything that's going on with celebrities and the social worlds and our world. And I guess what I want to know about you right now is just like, what was your origin story with astrology? Or like, when did you start getting into it in a more serious level?
3: Well, I think that it was actually it's really interesting because i like to say this expression kind of my catchphrase tank which means there are no coincidences and i have definitely been sort of i guess on the edge of my book coming out in a couple of months and starting to prepare to talk about my book and hoping to have promotion around it i've had to kind of well you know how do i want to tell this story now like at this age in this vessel relative to this um extension of my practice because it's not necessary it's the same origin story but how i phrase it is going to be different at 31 versus how it was at 29 versus how it was at 27 and for this version of the origin story i would say that um a, a huge milestone and turning point in my astrological practice was when I had my first session with an astrologer, um, my, first, my first birth chart reading, and the way that I reacted to that, uh, I was like 22. And the way that I responded and how, I, um, how uncomfortable I felt of being um, called out is what it felt like. Ooh. You know, it felt mm-hmm. like really intense and I was not prepared for it and it was really... Um, Accurate, but it was also things that I had not even really looked at or considered for myself and that um, was what prompted me to start working with a therapist. So there was always a union between my interest in astrology and mental health and needing to meet myself at what I was avail what was actually happening in my life with my mental health and astrology being the perfect mirror that it is in reflecting Mm -hmm. back to me what I needed to see at that moment. Um, so I, my, my relationship with astrology astrology deepened and I also was working with a professional therapist, um, at the same time and those became this sort of interwoven experience where my own healing practice has always been embedded into my work as an astrologer and then at a certain point at a certain threshold um, what I was able to learn in how astrology was actively changing my life and bringing more honesty and transparency and veracity to my experience is when I started to be able to shift and be able to work with clients mm-hmm. and to counsel in a more meaningful way through astrology And then those became um, interwoven. My work with clients became part of my own mental health journey as well. And it became a reciprocal and fluid um, exchange between how I was showing up with the work and how others were showing up for the work. And it's just continued to evolve and grow from there. But I would say that my own mental health journey has always been, a. extremely important part of my interest and passion and connection to astrology and that's something that I feel like I need to bring into my origin story now at 31 um, in order for to also understand sort of the gravity of why astrology is so important in my life and how my life has changed because of it
1: okay I totally fucking all right, I feel you on that one because like I feel like I've always I've meshed well with the therapists who like I can talk about astrology with them and I've like used that a lot in therapy and like I feel it is a fun and interesting and complex way to like look at objective things and be like where do I struggle and like where do I have strengths and kind of like see what you can do with it.
3: Yeah it was almost like for me the 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 Depth and the intensity of what was apparent and what was becoming visible through my astrological practice, Mm -hmm. I needed to be able to have another mental health professional to help me sort through that as I was learning about it. Because I wasn't working, you know, I started this community a few years ago called the Constellation Club, which is has grown to be this this wonderful space where people can study and learn and support each other. But that didn't exist when I was just starting. I was really isolated and I was really by myself. Um, you know, this is even before I met Annabelle, you know, this is a long, long time ago. So. It's um, at that time, I didn't have an astrologer who was a friend who I could work with in understanding these things astrologically. So it was like I was, you know, I had this one session with a with an astrologer while I was the client. It gave me so much information, and then I continued to read and Google and study things and learn about them, but what was what I was learning was so heavy and so intense, and I didn't at that time have any template to process what I was learning about myself, so I'm very grateful that my learning about my astrology coincided with also being able to support to find new tools and systems to support my mental health because I don't think I would have been able to parse through the intensity of what I was discovering if I didn't have a safe space to um, to work through that in an embodied way. You know what I mean?
2: Honestly, I give you props for like starting the Constellation Club. I think that's really fascinating. It's something I... Don't know why I can't do and why I struggle to, like, join any groups. You know, like, I feel like I'm a very private person with my spirituality, but I feel like with this podcast, things are changing. I feel more open Mm -hmm. to talk about it. I feel more in my power to say certain things and express certain things um, occultically. And I do want to know, like, when did you dive into the occult? When did you cast your first spell? Or was this always like a... Or you don't have a moment and it's been like a lifelong fascination for you?
3: Yeah, it's been forever. I I don't think that there was... I I mean, magic and manifesting, um, I guess is the word that I'm using to describe it, but the... The process of of channeling my energy and directing energy is second nature to me. Um, It was never something that I, I didn't call it spell work or witchcraft. It was just something I, it was survival I think it came from. Um, I had a really uh, tumultuous childhood and my mom got very sick when I was 10 and I felt responsible for keeping her alive. Um, and I would practice what I would now call manifestation or magic or spell work. Mm -hmm. But at that time, I didn't have a name for it. It was just extremely channeled focus, um, and directing it into intentions and using objects, words, and ritual in order to create to formalize it and to create patterns and to create systems for myself. Um, So it was never something that I even, uh, you know, it was never a question that that was what I was doing. But it was probably when I was about 20 or 21 that I started to realize that we could call those things magic or witchcraft or spell work or manifestation um, because I didn't have words for it prior to that.
2: Fascinating. Yeah, that's always, like, a worry I had, and each year I feel like my perception, my idea of, like, astrology, of witchcraft, of my philosophy, of my religious belief changes year after year. It's never consistent. Like, when I read Alejandro Jardosky, like, Psycho Magic, um, that's something I do take in that maybe is all a placebo effect, and you do certain rituals, you do certain tasks. And it reshapes your train of thinking. You do like love spells, and the real magic isn't like entrapping someone else, it's like just gaining the confidence to go after what you want. And then, after recently, I just started getting more into like chaos magic. And it's again, it's similar, it's all about like reshaping your thinking, reshaping your reality. What I'm trying to get to is just the fact that I think spoken words, written language, communication, podcasting videos, those are like some of the biggest magic there is, you know? You express your opinions, your art, your emotions, and it echoes into somebody's psyche. You can reshape the world. You can, you know, elevate the world. You can destroy somebody's world and way of thinking. And I feel like I want just want to get into, like, what the thesis of your podcast is. Because, like, our podcast is kind of, like, just a, essentially just a social commentary. But I feel like now more than ever, we reshaped our mission or I reshaped my own mission to be something where people can inspire to, like, break out of, like, what's expected of them. To dream of something bigger. By talking about the chaos of the world.
3: Yeah, I love that. Um, Stars like us is really um, a space for me to meet people who I think are really interesting and to uh, get to know them. I mean, especially as the in the last year, Stars like us has become my primary. I mean, instead, IQ can't be like, oh, like let's get a drink, let's go out and get a a tea or a coffee, like. I am grateful to have Stars Like Us because I can email people and be like, hey, I think you're cool. I wanna know more about you. Um, Let's talk on this, you know, under the auspices of this podcast. But it's, um, Stars Like Us is basically a cafe (laughs) for me. Um, It's it's a space that I just, I'm very intrigued by people. I think people are incredibly fascinating. I love hearing people's stories. And I'm so grateful to have a space and to have a sort of a designated environment to hear people's stories and hear their journeys and then loop in astrology or magic or spirituality or esotericism or occultism as needed, but always sort of revert back to the humanity and um, to, to my guest um, first. Um, so, yeah, that's what Stars Like Us has become for me and, and what I see its value as uh, as a podcast is it's a it's a cafe. <laughs> but I also to what you're saying about these different magic practices, I think that it's so I think that studying different ways of ritualizing your magic is really invaluable because it. Because there's a lot of inspiration that can be gleaned from the the different approaches, uh, whether it's ceremonial magic or folk magic or chaos magic um, and all of these different traditions and all of the, these different styles, I think that there's so much value in just knowing them, reading about them, seeing what makes them different, what makes them unique how do they coexist how do they how are they not harmonious um and to take to distill it and to personalize it and to take what you will from it um because there was a minute where i was like really fucking with ceremonial magic and i thought that that was like the the vibe and then i also i think i like you know 180 and was like actually fuck that ceremonial magic is an opportunity for people to Uh, be exploitative and Mm -hmm. ceremonial magic is literally gatekeeping and it is like really destructive but I still also read a lot about ceremonial magic and participated in ceremonial magic practices and appreciate those experiences so that I know what they are,
2: you know? No, I feel you. I wanted to get into the Golden Dawn. I wanted to get into the Lima. I wanted to get into the Masonic group. Thankfully, <laughs> Anibal Gat told me that I really didn't need it. And it was kind of corny for me. But it- but I kind of just wanted to join for the bragging right.
3: Yes, Th- the thelima is so much cooler in theory than in practice. Let's just be real.
2: No, I feel you. I've dated like a few people from the Lima. and like, there, when once you get into like these organizations, there's like a hierarchy to things, and like, I don't like that vibe. I want everyone to be equal. I've never done well with authority. I like to treat everyone. I like to call everyone by their names. I don't want to answer to someone or make them feel like they're above me or below me you know
3: yeah for sure i mean i think that any time you are i think that that's the issue and that's kind of why i wanted to also create a constellation the constellation club a community that isn't built around hierarchy and isn't built around like um that isn't like uh a proto-Nexium, you know, where you have to, you're going through what ultimately ends up being just sort of a freaky-ass cult that nobody wants, you know, how do you create a community (laughs) around magic and distinctly not make it a cult, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like that's, uh, it it seems like that should be a no-brainer, but it turns out it requires a lot of really active involvement and engagement to make sure that things are being – that there is no hierarchy, that there are no levels, that there is no – that that the ceremony is accessible and that there aren't these sort of like private, coveted, secret things that the general public can't participate in because I think that's when you get into cult-esque territory, you know?
2: Honestly, yeah, Aliza, I totally understand. I'm like – This is something that I've been, like, struggling with, with myself in general. Like, I was re-listening to the first episode that we recorded of Stars Like Us and back then i was just like really worried about like how i was going to be perceived if people were going to take me seriously because i was only 20 and about the knowledge that i have and like how i should like rebrand or like how i should present myself but i feel like as this podcast has gone on it really has helped me to elevate myself and have more confidence in my voice and my opinions and with working with the company that I'm working with right now, I feel more than ever empowered to say what I have to say and, like, share my point of view and, like, perhaps as the this podcast goes on, just share my belief system. But even then, I still get anxiety about social media and it always, like... I'm always worried about, like, who I follow and, like, what they see me as and what they do. And, like, I want to know, like, how do you... I feel like you have a healthy relationship with social media and I want to know like how that came about or if you have any tips in general, like how you handle social media.
3: Well, I really actively unfollow or mute people who make me anxious. I don't think I think that having a healthy relationship with the platform is kind of imperative Because I have found that when I follow people or, like, you know when you follow someone because you kind of hate them, but you're also kind of intrigued and you kind of, like, you kind of, like, want to know what they're doing because you don't want to be out of the loop because you're a little competitive, but then you're also like, ooh, fuck them, I hate them. Like, those specifically are the people that I do not have in my psyche because it it makes – I don't produce the high-quality work. If I'm Mm. doing it with the intention of trying to compete with someone else. I need to... I am too fucking competitive. So I need to (laughs) take people who make me feel jealous or envious out of the equation in order for me to continue to show up as my authentic self and not try to be something I'm not. Um, So, like, the hygiene is imperative, you know? If I feel like I'm in this imaginary competition because the other person obviously doesn't know they're in competition with me. So if I feel like I'm in this imaginary competition, then my work is not going to be as authentic to myself. It's going to be, I'm going to be somehow, some way, either um, mirroring or rebelling against what they have done. And then it's like, what the fuck is, what am I even talking about? You know, like, what Mm -hmm. am I doing? Why am I making such a point to do something in this way? when? the only reason the only driving force is like some toxic energy inside of me um so that is like i would say the most practical tip that i i mean i also i feel like you or Albie, especially are the social media royalty over here so i feel like you know (laughs) how to really like you know how to build a following and you know how to build space very quickly and that comes very effortlessly to you or at least it appears to um, I feel like I am like the tortoise in the hare. I'm definitely more of the tortoise in the situation where I'm like slow and steady <laughs> wins the race, I suppose. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's patience. <laughs> Social
2: media is like such a big tool. And it, I feel like it needs to be handled properly because there's so much power in it. But also like, I don't know, where I am right now is just like uh, I've been putting a lot of my energy towards sanctuary i've been working for them since summer of last year and it's kind of tricky to handle just for the fact that like i write some tarot i write some you know astrology stuff for them um memes and i don't get my name out there like it's not credited in that way but it's it's what i agreed upon so not shaming anything it's just like it's kind of weird for me to handle my energy when like my name isn't out there Oh my god!
3: Like... Yeah, I was about to. I mean, I hope you're getting paid well.
2: <laughs> no, <laughs> but uh... Shit. I know they're listening. But I also don't care. It's life is just a glimpse. It's gonna. I have an NDA yeah. too. But even then, it's like, what are they gonna do? <laughs>
0: <laughs> 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 Shit! <laughs> <laughs> oh,
2: Maybe he... right. Uh... <laughs> no, yeah, I'm not scared. Yeah, like. No, I, I feel like this podcast is also, like, a live journaling session for me, and unable to talk about all my fascinations. Like, our last episode, we talked about Columbine, we talked about gun reform, Talhid Massacre, Alan Moore, the soul, the renaissance, Age of Reason. Like, we really go on and on. We talk about James Charles, the Kabbalah, quantum physics. Like, this podcast is, like, it's, it's wild. It's, and you're it's a perfect wild. guest. It's um, <laughs>
1: No, we talked about some crazy shit. And, yeah, oh my god. And also the last episode, we went in, and I feel like ever since Mercury went into Aries, it's been a little bit more unhinged.
2: But it's gonna be a a good time. I'm having a good time right now.
1: Yeah,
2: we're Um, vibing. I was just wondering, (laughs) do you ever, like, feel conflicted about... How do you view... When you do your horoscope, how do you view it as... When I do horoscopes, like, I just started doing them recently, and they've been kind of elaborate, and I just view it as, like, storytelling and, like, reshaping reality and hoping people can, like, get inspired and, like, be outside of themselves, you know, with this kind of confidence. Yes. I've always had issues writing horoscopes before just because I never knew, like... I've always had, like, issues writing horoscopes before because I didn't know my thesis. I didn't know, like, my vision. And I didn't know how to direct that energy towards or who to direct this or energy towards besides the void. But I feel more than ever, I have a thesis and a mission to direct my energy just to get the collective inspired. And I want to know, like, do you have, like, a thesis or, like, a thought or, like, a crowd or a person in mind when you write horoscopes?
3: I write my horoscopes directed always to one person. I think of somebody who is that sign and I write a horoscope for them. Um, Sometimes (laughs) it's the same person every single, you know, like for a whole year I'll be writing to the same Taurus or to the same cancer Um, and then sometimes I alternate it within, you know, month to month or week to week or whatever the frequency is I'm writing the horoscopes and then sometimes I'll even be like split it in a few you know like I'll have one paragraph written to one Taurus and another paragraph written to another Taurus but I always make it very specific to someone that I have in my mind's eye because I want that specificity to be received by the reader yeah and I also don't care about the accuracy of them I want it to be exactly a story and I want it to spark movement and awareness. Mm. And I think that a successful horoscope is receiving a different point of view. When you know you start with your status quo, and then by the time you've finished reading your horoscope, whether it's a sentence or five paragraphs, you have, in some way, shape, or form, gone through a transformation and are re-entering mm. your mind's eye and status quo with some level of change so yeah that's what I aspire to create when I write horoscopes but I think writing horoscopes sucks personally um I think that it's really writing all 12 zodiac signs is really exhaustive it's really monotonous it's really tedious um it's I'm still doing it because it's still something that is you know it kind of is like comes with the territory of being an astrologer but i definitely you know it's it's exhausting it's not something that i look forward to
1: yeah because you started with that one taurus in mind and then you have to make a meme for all the rest of the signs and it's like oh shit
3: (laughs) yeah i mean it's like right i mean what could be really inspiring um up through cancer and then you're like, oh my god, I still have so many other signs left. Like, I still haven't. I still yeah, have eight I... other signs to go. You know, it's a lot.
2: Honestly, mm-hmm. writing astrology is a lot of work. Like when I write horoscopes, or at least when it, the aspects are going on, I could build a really fascinating story. Like in my horoscope that I wrote for last week, um, Venus and Mars made a sextile, and I wrote about the story of them and. The fact that they both ended up in loveless marriages but venus and mars were like true lovers and they always loved each other and they both got humiliated for having affairs and cheating with their partners with one another but even after that humiliation even when they weren't able to divorce their partners they made an effort at least once every year to meet up and every once in a while when there's a trion or a sex elder or a square they communicate with each other and every time they interact, they remind us, like, true love still prevails.
3: That's beautiful. Cute.
2: Yeah, but I, I was really fascinated by what you say. Because, like, my, when I do horoscopes, I get really, par- not paranoid, I get worried. And I, I feel uninspired when I'm talking or writing for the void. Yes. Like, I, I don't have an aim for anyone. Like, I, like, I could never do, like like, tarot scopes or, like, write tarot or, like, do tarot on YouTube because, like, I can't do tarot for the void.
3: Yeah, I mean, I can't do anything for the void, so I am I feel you entirely. I can't... That's why I have never been able to create, like, a sustain. That's why I've never fucked around with YouTube, you know? Like, mm-hmm. I do not... Ha- I cannot generate energy in a vacuum. I need there to be... A purpose, an intention, and to know what that intention is um, when I'm going into something. And I'm also a fucking Leo. I'm an entertainer. Like, I do not entertain myself. I bore the fuck out of myself. But I love when there's someone I'm entertaining, somebody that I'm, you know, is having an experience so for me it's like the being i can't self-generate enough energy to like entertain myself enough to make a youtube and i can't self-generate enough energy to write a horoscope for no one which is why i have to think about my friends i think about people in my life i think about what they're going through and i use that as the launching pad for being able to create enough like, you know, a compelling enough narrative to pull it through. Lisa,
2: you're so fucking cool. You're so fucking badass. Like, come on. <laughs> Thank
3: you. So raw. So vulnerable.
2: <laughs> okay, this might be a really corny question, but, like, which are the coolest Leos? June or August Leos? July or August, you mean? July and August Leos, yeah. Oh, August shit.
1: My family is listening to this. There's so many Leos in my family. Oh, my God. They're All Leos are good. <laughs> I love them yeah. all. Yeah.
3: We love them all. Obviously, I say August Leos because I'm an August Leo. But that um, is just where I have the the opportunity to Leo. Um, all signs are beautiful signs. But I do think that July yes. and August Leos are very different.
2: They read very
3: differently. Mm. Yeah.
2: Definitely, it's just, it's the Deccan Is it Deacon? Deacon or Deccan
3: I really or, think it's Deccan.
2: Deccan sounds more palatable oh. to my tongue.
3: Deccan because it's, Deccan because decade. It's the same decade. Deca, it's ten.
2: I feel like I'm in the spirit of just saying what's ever done on my mind. And um, the other day, I saw that Saturn was just about to move into my ninth house, and mars was scoring neptune and i got an email from like a barnes and noble publishing company about a book proposal they want me to write their books because of what they listen to on the podcast because of that weekly horoscope that i send out because of my little captions um i'm just wondering because i you've written two books and you have a third one on the way do you mind giving me any tips on like the making of a book and, like, what I should be cautious of. Yes. (laughs) A million
3: things. (laughs) Yeah, I know. (laughs) (laughs) A million, million things. I mean, Mm -hmm. first of all, like, how much are you getting in advance? What are the royalties? Like, Mm. all of the technical, financial um, details. And then, you know, what is – I mean, it's just – book contracts are big – Things And I think that they are kind of bigger than people may realize at the time because a book is going to, one, if it has your name on it, it's a representation of who you are. So you need to make sure that the publisher is going to share, you know, that you're aligned, especially if you're being commissioned something, that you're aligned with, like, what their vision is because they might have a vision – that is not the way that you want to portray yourself, mm. but then your name is going to be on it. So you have to really make sure that it's the right fit for not just the uh, the immediate advance, but for long term. You know, is this the way that you would want to brand yourself? Because it's going li- to it's it is going to live a very very long life. You know. Um, So just being really sort of not just short-term thinking, but long-term thinking, because if you're getting proposed, if there's someone who's proposing a book to you and is interested in commissioning you, that means that there's other publishers out there who are interested too. So that should give you the confidence to know that your work and your name is valuable and that you have choice and you have agency and you have say in it. Um, So that's you know, one of millions of variables to consider when it comes to a book contract. Um, Writing a book is exhausting and intense and life-changing and, you know, every time I finish writing a book I say I'm never ever gonna do that again and then (laughs) I do because it's worth it, I think. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's it's a tedious process um, if you well, maybe not for you because you have a Gemini rising. For me, with my Capricorn rising, I've turned into fucking Jack Torrance from The Shining every single time oh I write God. a book. Yeah. It right. is really a full body experience. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely deeply, deeply rewarding. But I will say, which is also in our spirit of saying shit we shouldn't say on the, on the air, I did write a book that I took my name off completely. And because I didn't like the direction the publisher wanted to take it in, so I have no attribution for that book, even though it came out under a different author's name. So I, uh, you know, I think that it was definitely a uh, learning experience of if you're not in alignment with the publisher about what the vision is, then it is a red flag from the beginning, you know? and in this case it was really simple but the publisher did not really felt uh, that they needed to use the traditional pronouns to describe the signs i did not feel like that was appropriate and i did not feel like the signs needed to be attributed to he and she um and it was because, it was for that <laughs> reason that i decided to take my name off the entire book mm-hmm. so um yeah there is a book out there that I wrote, but I do not have any uh, credits for.
2: That's so antiquated to them. I mean, like, these are heavenly, energetic bodies. Like, it doesn't need to be gendered. I agree.
3: That's but true. I also should have known from the beginning that we weren't aligned. So that was my bad.
2: Thanks for sharing that. Now I feel more conscious. I have a set of awareness of what I'm going to say when I go into a meeting with them.
3: How exciting.
2: Honestly, I mean, uh, I've gotten proposed for books before or something, but like I wasn't ready for it or I felt like wasn't ready. And now I have the energy and the knowledge and the confidence to do a million different tasks and like say what I got to say and just put it out there.
3: I want to know more about this sanctuary tea, though, to be honest.
2: <laughs> uh, um, Maybe
3: we can do that off-air, but right. real talk. That is... I am curious. Um,
2: let's see. I feel like I don't have a base to say too much, but it's been over a year that I've been with them, and everyone had a the character. There's a certain energy to it. I can't tell. I don't want to say anything. Um... There's just so many little creatures, there's so many little energy, there's so many characters, it's uh, interesting, (laughs) it's mystical. (laughs) Uh, Okay, I think this is like the perfect gateway to like, figure out, or I guess learn more about like, you have a new book coming out, this is your destiny, I really want to know more about this, like what is the thesis, like what is the general, you know, what is it about? Oh
3: my god it's really weird. It's a really weird book. I can't wait for people to read it. I'm scared and excited. So it's not a instructional book at all. It does not go through the zodiac signs at all. It does not go through the planets at all. But yet it is an astrology book. Um, So it's Basically, an astrology book, the way I'm describing it is that it's not about what astrology is, it's about what astrology does. So I share my own story, um, which kind of moves it into memoir in, in some aspects. Um, and then each chapter I also introduce us to uh, a client who I've worked with, and or a few clients um, for some chapters who had problems in, sorry, my dog had to shake it out, um, who had a problem relating to one of these seven core topics that I've centered my book around, which is identity, money, relationships, intimacy, um, uh, career, challenges, and intuition. And these seven core principles um, are exhibited through things that I've dealt with and things my clients have dealt with. So we talk about how those show up in a chart, you know, like what those could look like, but we also talk about how to move through them, what the significance of them is, you know, why is it so important to cultivate your sense of identity? Why is it so important to Develop a healthy and sustainable relationship with money. Why is it so important to be able to accept people for who they are? To have interpersonal relationships. Why is sex so important? Um, and we talk about these things from an astrological vantage, but also through the vantage of self-help and self-actualization and um, and just wisdom. You know, like just the amalgamation of a lot of wisdom. And I feel very grateful to be. Had a point in my career where I have worked with thousands of people, and I think that what makes me at this point, at this moment, I should say, um, a good astrologer is not necessarily how much technical skill I have, but how many stories I've heard, and how many people I've worked with, and how I can synthesize all of those one on one sessions in order to be able to provide wisdom for readers. Um, So that I don't, you know, it's basically like having a one on one session, except um, it's the reflection of all of these one on one sessions I've had with, you know, that is being condensed into this book. Um, So, yeah, that is basically this is your destiny. Um, The thesis is that your destiny is you. You know, your destiny is everything that you have ever experienced and that you have, um, that it's past, present, and future. And finding and interweaving those components is going to allow you to celebrate the wholeness of yourself. And the wholeness of self is really the wholeness of the galaxies and the stars and the universe and the cosmos. So the more that we can allow ourselves to see ourselves through this cosmic vantage the more that we give ourselves permission to be as complex and nuanced and multi-dimensional as we are
2: i'm just like so speechless because like this is there's nothing like this book out there i mean astrology is very therapeutic of like figuring yourself out and how to deal with the world and like
3: yeah i i i'm really excited about it it was a really hard book to write and there were a lot of times when i was like this is I don't know how this is going to land, like this doesn't, this is so not an astrology book Um, but it is only an astrology book because it's (laughs) only through this lens that I have been able to understand these truths but it is definitely very esoteric and it is very very much rooted in in deep spirituality and each chapter has two manifestations in it. Um, one for the astral plane and one for the physical plane um, to be able to solidify your relationship with that aspect of life. I
2: love that you put a lot of, like, manifestation and intention work for each of the energy that you're talking about because um, I think it's good for people to engage with the energy if they want to understand astrology better. And um, it's very occultic, but um, I am wondering, like, if it's not true and true of a question about like what your religious beliefs are
3: i don't have any i'm not religious by any Mm -hmm. means but i'm very spiritual Mm. um Mm -hmm. and i really i mean i've recently started to accept that trees are god and i've been working with that um but (laughs) i i think that spirituality is is really important to me as a Pisces moon. And I think that it's, it's really, um, it's a very creatively inspiring vessel for me more than anything.
2: I feel like spirituality is going to be more important now than ever. Um, in our last podcast, we talked about like before the Renaissance, spiritualism was like the natural state of human thinking. Like, it was belief that, like, everything and everyone, including yourself, had, like, a soul or an essence or everything was sacred, including yourself. And then the age of reason came along and it led to materialism and just thinking that the physical world is the only thing that's, like, that matters and it's real if you could produce it and examine it through a physical lens. But now with, like, did you see that article that came out a few days ago from the New York Times saying that, like, in a quantum level, like things are being reshaped and nobody can understand why
3: no will you send it to me after this
2: no definitely but it was just like I know we
3: talked about that
2: yeah like in a molecular sh- level like your emotions and your thinking can reshape how atoms like move around and i'm like that's crazy and like people don't even understand what that's about and i forgot what it was like there's this one witch book that's like Witch one of one essential it came out in the 70s I think the last name was, like, Duke or something, and he just talked about, like, witchcraft is just, like, science that's yet to be explained.
3: Yes. Like, I mean, I've always, I've never, I've always been, like, grossed out by the Enlightenment era as a, you know, as, not as the mythology (laughs) of it, but as the truth of it. Like, it was a really, you know, it was just a bunch of very specific old white men doing very specific Fun old white minutes. men things to benefit them. And it's not that they didn't have incredible discoveries and that it was, you know, that I I love science, but I also recognize science as a flawed system just like everything else. Um, and there's bias in everything and a lot of it. So I think that what happened is that... Um, science became sort of irrefutable as truth Um, and then with that came skepticism and questioning of anything that was um, not you know didn't use the scientific method and Mm. what we're talking about spirituality does not you don't need to have the scientific method in order for it to be important and significant and real in somebody's day-to-day life. You know, religion, Christio, christo Judaism, any monotheism, any any polytheism does not cannot abide by the scientific method, but yet we're not questioning whether or not Christianity exists or whether or not Judaism exists or whether or not Islam exists or whether or not Buddhism exists. Like we know that they exist because people practice them, you know? And you can't put it in a lab to synthesize it in the same way you can't put my work in a lab to synthesize it, but it doesn't mean it's not real.
2: Yeah, there's multiple truths as well. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, I definitely think that, like, astrology became more powerful now than ever because it's so popular in the memes. Like, celebrities post about it, and I feel like astrology more than ever, has become so powerful, it's become so blatant, it's become part of the collective unconscious. And like, whenever we see Mercury retrograde, it really fucks everyone over, because now, more than ever, so many people are tuned in and believe in it. Mm. And it's the same way, like, religion has shaped our politics and our society, because so many people believed in it, so many people powered this, like, machine, and now it's like, it's living on its own, you know, you can't break it apart. Totally. Even if you don't believe it's still like running. Totally. Totally.
3: Um, and it's funny because so often, like especially when I'm doing an interview or in some way engaging with someone who doesn't know about astrology, um, I, th- I find it so funny when they're like, so when did you first start believing in it? And I'm like, I don't <laughs> believe in astrology. Like <laughs> astrology is not a doctrine. Astrology yeah. is not, there is no manifesto here, you know? Like I use astrology, I practice astrology, but I don't mm-hmm. believe in it. Like it's, it's you know, it. You don't need so to, to evangelize it, you know.
1: I love that people, especially, just always be like, "So, do you really believe in this stuff?" And I'm always like, mm, "Belief is fickle. Like <laughs> it's not like that. <laughs> like it's, it's, you know."
2: It's yeah. Not religion. Yeah.
0: It's it's not a,
2: a... Aliza, I love how your mind works, and I'm very much in the same mindset. I mean, astrology is not even coherent, you know? There's, like, so many branches of how you can teach it and learn about it and practice it. And, like, for me, I used to have a focus on Yugi and Jungi and astrology. I used to have a focus on traditional. I used to, like dive into the modern and the pop culture and like the evolutionary aspect of astrology but um I guess what I'm trying to say is like the way I use astrology is not set on one specific foundation or tradition or branch of astrology I use everything that I learn and everything I can learn to try to build a better interpretation of whatever I'm using astrology for but I do want to know like is there like a set foundation for your astrology work
3: that's a good question I mean I'm certainly very interested in psychological astrology mm-hmm. um, I'm also very interested in evolutionary astrology I also love Jungian astrology I would say that my astrology is really a blend of a lot of the things that I've studied and is is client first you know like it's really mm-hmm. client forward like I want to know first what is why is somebody want to work with an astrologer you know what story what is true in their life and then how can we use the birth chart to back up what their experience is or provide deeper understanding of what their experience is or be able to expand our our perspective expand our vantage and see more options than would just exist through a straightforward read of the nuance, you know, I, I love cycles, I love patterns, I love multi-generational narratives. So I really love to, I want somebody to have a, I want to celebrate somebody's wholeness, whatever that means and whatever that um, speaks to on an individual level. Um, and I want to empower people to also celebrate their wholeness too. So that would be something that I feel at this point in time would be like a a legacy message, if you will. Like I really want people to be comfortable and and feel inspired and empowered to be themselves, and to use the language of astrology. I think is a fabulous way of being able to create a richer narrative than the than the bios that we limit ourselves to on Instagram.
2: I know your motto is there are no coincidences, but Mm. I was hoping if you could elaborate on that just because, uh, I think your motto has so much depth and meaning to it.
3: Well, I mean, I definitely am obsessed with saying tank. There are no coincidences. Um, so that is probably the closest thing I have to a, a motto. Um, but Uh, Something that is, you know, going back to before I had language for all of these things, the way that I would move through life. Um, When I was a kid, I wrote almost like, you know, uh, a ritual in a journal all the time, create the life you've always wanted. And I would write that, like, (laughs) no pun intended, religiously over and over and over again. Um, And... I didn't know the life that I wanted yet, but I understood that I was responsible for creating it. So the practice of recognizing my role and my agency in it definitely shaped my experience and allowed me to recognize that I have, I'm playing a really big role in what my reality looks like.
2: No, definitely. I mean, I guess one of the models of this podcast, because I keep repeating this message, is just like, life is meaningless, but you give it power, you give it meaning, you give it a nuance, you give it a purpose, you know?
3: Totally. And to live is to suffer, classic.
2: No, but it's true. And I always say this all the time on the pod that, like, life is suffering. Like, there's always going to be hurt, there's always going to be destruction, someone's going to disappoint you, opening yourself to others, going out in the street. Being vulnerable is all going to... There's a risk involved, but it doesn't mean you shouldn't engage with it. Like, there's always a grace. There's always a joy. There's always a light. And just sometimes you just have to risk it for the reward. And yes. It's, it's very... Well, Well, a lot of my beliefs lately have been shaped by Evangelion. Even, Neon Genesis Evangelion. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> just because, like... Oh, and I just learned right now that my Saturn is moving away from my 8th house. And it's going into my mind.
3: How delightful.
2: So I'm finally over, like, feeling so scared to open myself to be vulnerable. You know, this podcast has helped for me just to say it all out. If it's my truth, and if I mean it, it's not going to hurt me.
3: Saturn in the 8th is a real bitch.
2: When Saturn moved into my 8th house, it was, like, the middle of 2019. That's when I got really fucking depressed. And, like, I really had to, like, come face to face with, like, the core and dark side of my being.
3: It's a very depressing transit.
2: And now it's going to the ninth house. And now I'm looking into Judaism and the Kabbalah. And I'm thinking about going to law school again or just going to grad school. And um, we'll see what happens. It's fun Yes, time.
3: I saw your, uh, your, your, uh background screen on your phone when you so sweetly posted my podcast this morning. I was like, is that a tree of life? <laughs> <laughs> is that the tree of life? <laughs> what is Albie doing? <laughs> we we love a Kabbalah moment.
2: Uh, right. It's uh, it's something I want to learn more about. I feel like there's some... Uni- all connects like all these western like mythology and esotericism so it wasn't too hard for me like to dive in to understand that like the kabbalah and the tree of life is just about you connecting to the to the collective and then finding your individualism through the spirit to just being yourself is essentially the thesis of it totally enjoying your life yeah
3: and i think that that's the root of like any good spiritual practice is is ultimately about um your consciousness you know and moving through different planes of consciousness to be able to have a richer experience in being alive
1: i feel like some of your posts you had
3: stuff like gothic and
1: memes and i love that um also living for i live for your like eyeliner looks
3: thank you so much
1: and okay so a question I have for you is what is your Venus sign? And what do you feel like your
3: expression of that is? Oh, my God. My Venus is mm. zero degrees Libra. And Ooh. I am I, – I think that you nailed it. I think that having, like, my eyeliner and my aestheticism, my – like, having – being around beauty, beautiful things, making beautiful mm. experiences – um is makes my venus very very happy however i also must add that my venus is in a very very tight square with or or i should say t square with uranus and jupiter so it's it's a very Mm -hmm. odd venus jupiter is exalted in cancer in this t square um we have uranus in capricorn so all of it is, you know, resolving in Aries in my third house where I have no natal planets, but Venus is is doing a lot <laughs> and <laughs> definitely is in very informed by its relationship to Uranus. So my, like what beauty looks like to me is not like Gwyneth, Paul, Gwyneth Paltrow, Libra beauty. You know, like it does need to be a little bit edgy, a little bit weird, a little bit, there needs to be something Mm. um, analog about it. Like I am definitely a maximalist, not a minimalist. And I feel like Mm. that is the influence of Uranus and Jupiter on my Venus. Yeah, absolutely, that's the way to be.
2: Well, you know, I'm obsessed with personas and I feel like I'm obsessed with who you are online and who you are in person. And I'm glad to know you and um, I love the fact that you're like unafraid and unbashful to share and show how candid you are when you were a punk and a god and like where you are today and like what you're up to and like your spiritual and your haunting experiences.
3: Yeah, I, I think I'm still punk and I think I'm still goth. I'm just older.
2: no you elevated it to like
3: thank you elevated yeah
2: something that can't be like truly described something yeah it's just you um
1: aging yeah i'm a
2: i'm obsessed
3: with the aesthetic world that i have and i've made for myself and i i know what i like so distinctly and so viscerally like I was telling my partner, we, I, the, I told him that my dream car is like a 1960s Jaguar. And just a few days later, we were walking down the street and there was a car and it was too far away from us for me to be able to like actually see what it was. But I was like, oh, like j'adore that car. And then as we got closer, it was a Jaguar from the 60s. So it was like, it's like, I know what I like. And it is sort of so clear to me. It is so my my aesthetic taste is like um, razor sharp, and I care. And I studied art and art history in college, so it's it kind of I think a lot of my um, magical and cr- artistic astrological work are is kind of all they all live together. You know, um, the mm. the the Venusian aspect of it is definitely a driving force
2: aliza i don't know if it's because of your sun sign or your moon sign or you know what it's just because you're a phenomenal person you're so insightful you're so smart you're so cool and i feel like throughout this whole conversation there's been a thesis of like how to be present and how to be yourself and i feel like talking to you it helped me understand better that i have anxiety when i think about myself in the third person when i think about my from somebody else's lens when I think about myself in the future and like when I think about myself in the present I feel secure I feel safe I feel empowered you know I feel myself and I feel like that's the way to go with life just being in the present and learning how to be conscious and weaponizing and just using everything that's in front of you because that's the only thing that's the only relief you get It's the only thing we can trust. We're going to throw out everything I said about the mythos. I'm going to also, like, bleep out that. (laughs) Not that person's name, but also, like, we're going to bleep out a certain person's name. Just because it wasn't about them. I just was using them as an example.
3: Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure that she would love it, though. I mean, I don't know. Maybe she wouldn't, but I'm sure she would.
2: She's a Sagittarius. Um, I'm sure she's going to love that people are talking about her. Um, But... Yeah, I don't know her. It's weird. I <laughs> I know I'm going to I'm probably going to run into her sometime in the future. It's I, I don't know. I have that connection about people. Like, I knew I was going to run into you somehow. I saw your book, The Mixology of Astrology, and then I read like the back of it and I'm like, hmm, something about this person's name just like a tickling feeling in my soul.
3: Well, I, I it's know. funny cuz you said Leiza and I thought you said Eliza. So, it's Alisa. Uh, Aliza. Uh, <laughs> Aliza.
2: oh my god sorry it's my list it's uh, it, it runs rampant so many times it's gonna be fixed in the audio oh um, my god you yeah. sound perfect thank you i mean it's just my list but i also know that like people find it kind of intriguing they feel like they're talking to a friend or something <laughs> which is part of the you know what is it called the the charm para para so yeah the para, it's part of the parasocial relationship i'm being human i make mistakes i have a lisp um i say whatever i want um i treat this podcast like i'm talking to a friend you know
3: and you are
2: all our listeners you're our friend and you could always dm just saying <laughs> well
1: Alright, so, I loved what you were saying about the Venusian stuff. That was so cool, because I feel like very like, I feel very connected to Venus. My Venus is in the seventh house of Aquarius. (laughs) Um, And honestly, it's a place that I kind of just have to learn to love. And it's like, it's cute, it's funny, but I love all those that are like venusian expression i love
3: that yes i i think that at different points in life like there's always a different planet to connect with and reconnect with and to Mm -hmm. cultivate a new relationship with
2: i am curious to know like how what is your relationship to like the outer planets like uranus neptune pluto
3: if they're doing something very special
2: Oh, no, absolutely. I feel like the outer planet is like Uranus, Neptune, Pluto. It's so loaded with information and so loaded with energy. And I feel like most people don't interact with that in their everyday life. Like, it's so specific. And so whenever I do horoscopes or I read someone's chart, I try to avoid talking about it. Because I, I feel like most people don't really deal with that energy. Or at least when I do horoscopes, I try to avoid that energy completely almost
3: yes i i love the modern planets i think that they are they add a lot of depth and a lot of nuance and that they have important symbology um horoscopes to me is definitely not the where i am the Mm -hmm. deepest and most esoteric and most um you know macro thinking it is you know I am thinking about the reader what is ultimately going to be a good horoscopic experience for them Um, musing about the outer planets is definitely for me reserved for like other extensions of my practice um, is where I'll go deeper and go more granular and go get more nuanced with them my friends I I'm so sorry I need to take my dog out Um, She is about to pee on my carpet here. Oh, my God. So I'm so sorry. I had planned for an hour for this, (laughs) and this 15 minutes is
2: of her pacing is making me very stressed out. No worries. Um, Well, we have a lot to – well, we said a lot. Um, Thank you for coming here. Um, I appreciate it so much. I hope to meet you soon. Not meet you. I hope to hang out with you soon, yeah. I hope so, too
3: this has been so lovely thank you guys so much for the time
2: um definitely thank you so much alisa um i'll i i do not know just a lot of love a
3: lot, a lot of lot love
2: speechless that's all i gotta say this has been so magical very you transformed me through this whole conversation oh my god
3: <laughs> i well i is the feeling uh. is mutual
2: yeah, I'm going to like really dissect it. I'm going to like really think about it because I'm feeling a lot. But I, it's something magical. It's transcendent. It's, it's been an experience.
3: I really and appreciate <laughs> that. Thank you for giving me the space to share.
2: Definitely. We're going to leave your books, your contacts, everything in the description. And well, we're signing off, guys. Thank you.
3: Thank you so much. Bye. 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 Thank you guys so much. Sorry I have to run. I just really don't want to have to clean up. See you
2: next time at Planet Dirt Bag.